Folks came from all around, from near and from far. After the book of Genesis, where the women give birth to the Abrahamic dynasty, they almost completely disappear from the rest of the biblical text. It's only the Midrash that keeps their presence alive in the biblical unconscious. Good to see you all here. Um, some more of your faces than usual, very weird. But nice. Nice mouths. Um, we decided at our board meeting, uh, under the advice of our public health nurse, that we, we weren't going to require masks anymore, but please feel free to wear your mask if you're more comfortable. And if you disagree with that policy, you can talk to us. But everyone yes. else is doing it. That's usually been our, um, at the center of our ethical code. Everybody else is doing it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it is good to see your chins. You guys are better looking than I remember. <laughs> hey, um, also to you watching on the TV, listening on the podcast, um, we're so glad that you joined us. Um, yeah, and let's uh, say hello to Michael and Green, and we have them back. So nice to hear you, hear from you. Are you guys going to be doing the uh, a guest artist music yep. tonight too? Is that that thing you were practicing earlier? That was yep. pretty good. All right. Yeah. All right. Hey, um, you know, this Wednesday, we've been talking about these community conversations yeah. that we're having. It's happening this Wednesday, mm -hmm. in case you didn't put it on your calendar, from 6 to 8. We've been asking people to sign up. But if you haven't signed up yet, just show up. Uh, if the night, weather's nice, we'll just have it out here in the church courtyard. There'll be dinner. The topic of conversation is going to be urban climate change. But it's really just a way to get out, meet Meet some of the folks at Bethlehem and people in the neighborhood, hopefully. So Yeah, there'd be good food, good yeah. conversation. Yeah, please join us. Was that the kind of thing you thought I should add in? I know I should. Yeah. Well, anything you wanted please to. Please join us. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I got. What right. else? Anything else? Well, should we announce the 430 thing? Oh, yeah. We, uh, for those of you who are at our, um, what do you call it, all church meeting? Annual, Annual meeting? meeting? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, people have, some people have suggested that maybe perhaps if we moved our service from 5 to 4.30, uh, the young'uns, people with young'uns, um, might work out better for them as far as getting home, just that extra half hour, wanting for dinner and naps. And we've heard this for a long time. We have. And uh, we used to not care. <laughs> um, but uh, we finally decided, and everybody else was, uh, you know, agreed, that uh, 4.30 would uh, not injure those who had no preference, but greatly help uh, those who did. So starting on Feast of Jonah, the 25th of September, we're moving to 4.30, service at 4.30. If you just come for the sermon, a little communion, you know, you can still show up at 5. 
and uh, you'll get most of the good stuff, except, you know, not a lot of music. But some. Some, yeah. Or just come at 4.30. Leave at 5. <laughs> yeah. This will be the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Help us pay attention to what is around us and in us, our breath, our hearts, the people near us, the air and ground, music and words, that we might recognize when you come to us with the mercy, subtle or earth-shaking. Help us pay attention. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. Let's pass the peace.
join me now in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer or petition with God and your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. Let's pray. God of mercy, 
We promise not to just sit around and wait for the world to get better, but we do pray for your help. We pray for whatever it is we're supposed to pray for in the midst of a violent world, in the midst of a dying planet, for resolve or hope, the freedom to act, for humans to evolve, an end to destructive patterns of behavior, an end to war and racism and income disparity and starvation. At the very least, we pray that we ourselves will learn to be compassionate, generous, and merciful. God, in your mercy. God, in mercy, help us not to be afraid to give away things that are precious to us, time, love, hard-earned money. Help us love deeply and broadly without fear that it won't be returned or that it will somehow be humiliating, extracting more from us than we can afford. Make us generous with our love. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, free us from the relatively unimportant things or the merciless things that weigh us down so much, so often, that we feel stuck in a mindset or some old path, some pattern of hatred or judgment for ourselves or other people, instead of seeing something beautiful, some other route to take, more ways to love. Help us be imaginative and creative. God, in your mercy. We are headed toward fall. It is in the air. The college students have or are soon to leave us. The light is fading. The midterms are coming. Whatever transitions this fall might mean, remind us that nothing is beyond the reach of mercy. Be with us and help us know you are with us. Be with Elsie and Tilly and Rosa and Simone and Eloise and Lottie and Tegan and all those who are starting in new schools or new places. Give them whatever it is they need to be well and know that they are loved. Help them find friends and good teachers and wisdom and adventure. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we know many people who are suffering from all the variety of toils life brings. We pray for your healing, your comfort or peace, or whatever it is that you might give to help them and hold them, to help them stand up straight or lie down if that is what they need. We pray for rest or energy or strength or whatever healing might be. We pray for Cindy and Asher and Sarah and all those that we name. God, in your mercy, hear the prayers that we bring to you now as we pause for an extended silence. Help us know the mercy. Amen.
traveling through this wearisome land I've got a home in that yonder city good Lord and it's not not made by hands I am a pilgrim and a stranger traveling through this wearisome land I've got a home in that yonder city good Lord and it's not not made by hands I've got a mother a sister and a brother who have gone this way before I am determined to go and see them good Lord over on that other shore I am a pilgrim and a stranger traveling through this wearisome land I've got a home in that yonder city good Lord and it's not not made by hands I'm going down to the river of a Jordan just to bathe my wearisome soul if I can just touch the hem of his garment good Lord then I know He'll take me home I am a pilgrim And a stranger Traveling through This wearisome land I've got a home in That yonder city Good Lord And it's not not made by hand. The scripture reading is from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? 
And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The word of God. What does it mean that she was bent over? Does this phrase describe a physical condition, an untreated disease or disorder that caused her to be bent over for 18 years, unable to stand? Or is it a metaphor for how she was treated, how she's been weighed down, put upon, oppressed, to the point where she is no longer physically or psychologically able to stand up straight to her full height. If you would like to explore this notion further, as I did, let me caution you before you Google, she was bent over. Not a lot of biblical interpretive sites come up. Learn from my experience. Instead, you should search Camptocormia or BSS, which stands for Bent Spine Syndrome. Camptocormia, also known as uh, BSS, is an abnormal flexation of the trunk causes one to bend over. And this condition was originally seen as uh, seen in wartime. In World War I is when the literature begins to first be written about it. And it's seen exclusively as a psychological disorder, as a reaction to trauma. It wasn't until the 90s that papers began to be published about the origins uh, of this disorder, campo, camptochromia. I didn't practice that enough. Um, and it's linked to neurological disorders and a number of musculoskeletal disorders. For many years, camptocormia was seen as this psychiatric manifestation of trauma. Coming out of World War I and World War II, they saw this almost exclusively in soldiers Later papers suggested that that's because these were the people who were being studied, but um, also in a historical review of records, they saw that during the time of the Depression that this was found in many women as well. Again, was uh, um, related to trauma. That trauma had caused these individuals, because they have suffered so much trauma, 
that it was either a feeling of being weighed down, pushed to the ground, their head to the ground, they could not face, sit up and face the trauma that they've experienced, or that it was some sort of like self-protective movement, a, a, a curling in to, to protect oneself from the trauma they've experienced. Jesus heals three times on the Sabbath in the Gospel of Luke, always in front of the religious leaders, and always while he's in dialogue with them. In two of those Sabbath healings, it's men that Jesus heals. And in both of these healings, the men seem more like props for Jesus' lessons that he's uh, teaching to those in power, to the priests and the Pharisees. These men are more like uh, illustrations. They're more like examples than fully formed characters in the narrative. They're illustration for Jesus' teaching these religious leaders about the oppression that the strict interpretation of the law can lead to. The men in these healing narratives, they don't speak, they don't react to being healed, and they're identified only by their infirmity, and then they just disappear from the narrative after they're healed while Jesus continues to make his point. I was seven in 1972 when the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution was passed by the House and the Senate and sent to the states for ratification. I know once that would seem like a weird, irrelevant thing to bring up. But here I am, talking about the Equal Rights Amendment. How many of you remember 1972? Yeah, sure. And the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, so after it was passed in 1972, um, so it was sent out then for all the states, all the states uh, had to ratify it, a majority of them, I forget the exact number, 36 maybe. Um, and I was really into it. I thought it was, uh, I was seven, but I was really, I was excited about this. Uh, amendment to the Constitution and equal rights, what's uh, not to like it. Uh, and it might be odd for a seven-year-old to get excited about such things, but it wasn't the oddest thing about me when I was seven years old. Um, but I knew about it, I think, because uh, I watched the news every night, the national news. Um, I, I would sit down and watch the news every night with my dad. Um, not because I was like particularly precocious and a big news junkie or anything like that. I just, uh, I liked being with my dad. And I could always find him on the couch at six o'clock every night. And I'd sit down next to him and he'd, and lean against him and he would put his arm around me and never really say anything or talk, never taking his eyes even from the TV. And I'd sit there and I'd listen because it seemed important to him. So obviously it must be important. My mom, we'd watch the news. My mom was in the kitchen always making dinner. And that's where I first heard about the Equal Rights Amendments from the evening news. And like I said, I really kind of I don't know, something about it, I was interested in it. And uh, so I remember 
when I was talking to Mrs. Matthew, Mrs. Matthew was our across the street neighbor. She watched my brothers and my sisters and me after school until my parents got home from work. And one time while I was sitting on the front steps with Mrs. Matthew, because all the other kids were playing frozen tag and I kept getting frozen and no one would unfreeze me, so I quit. She asked me outright, out of the blue, what I thought about the Equal Rights Amendment. The ERA, she said. Now there were some people on our block who had ERA signs in their yards. And uh, it was a weird thing to ask a kid, but maybe even uh, weirder yet that I had an immediate answer. I said um, that I thought that uh, women should have equal rights um, and why should men have any say in this matter and that uh, it seemed uh, preposterous that uh, our government got to legislate that. I think I heard somebody say that on the news. I don't think that I fully knew. I think I heard somebody ask that question on the news and I answered kind of uh, along those lines. But I felt, uh, I felt kind of, I liked that I had got this attention from Mrs. Matthew from this adult, and uh, I felt like maybe it kind of put me above all those other immature kids who would always, you know, the kind of kids who would like freeze a guy at the beginning of a game and then never unfreeze them, you know? Yeah. I wanted to keep trying to keep that conversation going. I wanted to push her a little further, you know, and uh, I asked her what she thought about the ERA. And she said, well, yeah, I think of course it's, uh, yeah, of course it's good, but you know what people are saying, she said. You know, people are saying that uh, it's gonna be where women have to use the same bathroom as men, and then women are gonna have to go fight in, in wars, you know? She said, that just seems like an unimaginable, I mean, I can't, why would anybody wanna do that? And I said, I can't fathom why the government would ever even get involved at all. She looked at the, out of the, her kids and the neighborhood kids playing. She didn't look back at me, but then looked up. And she asked me what I thought of divorce. Now, I didn't see that on TV. Or I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't have an answer for that. It wasn't on the news. They weren't talking about it like that. And it, even though I liked the attention and I liked the adult attention, um, it seemed like more of an adult conversation than I really wanted to have. You know, and I was trying to formulate some kind of answer because I didn't know what to say. And she seemed like she'd gotten sort of intense. And I said, uh, and then she just kind of laughed and patted me on the sh shoulder and like to dismiss the question. And she said, why don't you go out there and play? And I guess at that point I was ready to get back to freeze tag. Over the next year, Mrs. Matthew got her real estate license. 
She's never worked before. Not a lot of the moms did. Mine, of course, did. But uh, she got a real estate license. I mean, that was back in the day when a gold jacket meant something. And her husband, Ed, ran for state representative. He even paid me and my brother, Mike, 50 cents an hour to help him put up lawn signs. And I remember clearly that they were red with white writing that said, vote for Ed, stop the ERA. He lost. They got a divorce. Mrs. Matthews sold their house. They both moved out. The fact that the subject in the third Sabbath healing is a woman could be seen as inconsequential. I mean, Jesus heals two men and a woman on the Sabbath. Maybe gender isn't really the point, right? It's the Sabbath. That's what the point is here. It's the healing and the schooling Jesus is giving the religious leaders that matters. Maybe. But I think to overlook the presence of this daughter of Abraham is to join with those who bent her over. The relative absence of women from the entirety of the biblical narrative after Genesis is striking, says contemporary Torah scholar Aviva Gottlieb Zorenberg. She knows that after Genesis, where the women give birth to the Abrahamic dynasty, they almost completely disappear. She claims that, however, the Midrash keeps their presence alive in the biblical unconscious. Women's stories, she says, can be seen at least through the cracks between the lines at certain critical junctures in the narrative. Here she calls these, the, these repressed narratives of the biblical text that the Midrash teases out. The writings of the ancient rabbis retain traces of the women's stories, of the, of the women's narratives, and it brings it from that biblical unconscious to the consciousness with marked effects on the manifest level of meaning. So that what is being repressed, so what is being repressed here in this story that we're reading, what's being repressed in this narrative of the healing of a daughter of Abraham on the Sabbath? All we get is this woman who is bent over and then is healed by Jesus. The Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, which is intended to guarantee the equal, right, equal rights under federal law, state law, and local law, says that you could, um, no one could be denied equal rights on account of sex. This was originally uh, written and passed in 1972, as I mentioned, by both houses of Congress, but it failed to get ratification. 
by enough states to pass. There was a deadline set of June 30th, 1982, and that deadline required that the Equal Rights Amendment be adopted by 36, I think, states out of the 50. And if it wasn't, then that amendment to the Constitution would not be passed. The Supreme Court announced in 1982 that the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution had failed. When the Equal Rights Amendment first was proposed, it was on the platform of the Republican Party. It was included on the Republican Party's platform beginning in 1940. And it was renewed on the, the, as a plank of their platform every four years until 1980. But the ERA was strongly opposed by American, uh, the American Federation of Labor and other labor unions who feared that the amendment would invalidate protective legisla legislation for, for women. The Equal Rights Amendment was opposed by Eleanor Roosevelt and the New Dealers. The amendment was opposed by most Northern Democrats who aligned themselves with the anti-ERA labor unions. And it was supported by most Southern Democrats and most Republicans. The, the Democratic Party did not become united in favor of the amendment until it passed Congress in 1972. President Nixon immediately endorsed the ratification. In 1973, though, it began to turn, where Republicans began to discover it as a way to attract more conservatives who had been disgruntled by the changing culture and by the number of women who were entering the workforce. And to tell, until today, we see this brought up again. We see laws being passed, we see uh, Supreme Court precedents being overturned, not based on some merit, not based on the idea that, that there's really some notion that women should not have equal rights. No, it's just based on men who are scared who see the world changing, who see their majority in power slipping away, this is a backlash. They're looking for a way to control the inevitability of what? Equality? What does it mean that she was bent over? The ancient rabbis link this phrase, this bent over, with Leah. 
the wife of Jacob, who was forced by her father to trick Jacob into having sex with her. Jacob wanted her sister Rachel and was not pleased with being manipulated. Rachel was not. It doesn't report how Leah felt about the situation. But Rabbi Tanum says, when God sees a person bent over in dejection, God gives him a hand, or her a hand, and raises them up. And the Lord supports all who stumble, Rabbi Tanum says, and makes all who are bent to stand straight that they may proclaim the greatness of God. When God says that Leah was unloved, when God saw that Leah was unloved, he said, how shall I make her beloved? And he decided, I'll give her children so that her husband will love her and thus make her stand straight. What's the backstory of this daughter of Abraham that Jesus heals? Who Jesus made straight? It seems that it could be significant because when the two men are healed, they disappear from the narrative. But the narrative's author has her stand up immediately, stand straight, and begin praising God. When Jesus suggests that the men in power maybe should treat her at least as well as they do their donkeys, these men, it says, are ashamed. Those in power, these religious leaders, are ashamed when they confront Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. But all the people around her who've known this woman and seen her suffering, who maybe suffer similarly, it says that the entire crowd roars with approval and rejoices at what's been done. How do you give the state the power to legislate equality? How do we let this systemic oppression continue? At creation, God proclaims that this is so. When Jesus comes, he reiterates and redeems that all people, male, female, Greek, Jew, are created equal. Jesus is not healing this bent woman. Jesus knows that she is powerful, that she is equal, that she has the same rights as any other one created 
in God's image. Jesus is not healing this woman. Jesus is offering a healing to all these religious leaders who did not even see this woman's face for her being bent over. Jesus takes her hand and she stands up straight and looks them all in the eyes. And they see her and they are healed. Ain't it a shame to work on Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to work on Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to work on Sunday when you got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and you got Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to joy ride on Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to joy ride on Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to joy ride on Sunday when you got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and you got Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to gossip on Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to gossip on Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to gossip on Sunday when you got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and you got Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to lie on Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to lie on Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to lie on Sunday when you got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and you got Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Ain't it a shame?